Coming up on this week's show, we talk to Michael Vance Gurley about his YA steampunk adventure. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome, everyone, to episode 198 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from willkanaus.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We will have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Welcome back, everyone. Another week, another show. (laughs) Um, we hope your week went well. We hope it was filled with lots of great summer reading. Uh, we've got some amazing books that we're going to talk about this week. Absolutely. Uh, before we get to that, let's get to some news. Uh, Jeff and I are preparing to go to New York City, and we're going to be attending RWA. Now, that acronym, of course, stands for Romance Writers of America. Um, their national meeting is coming up, and we are going to go for the very first time. Yes, I am perhaps a little daunted by that. How so? <laughs> Would you care to elaborate? Would I care to elaborate? <laughs> I mean, we've been to RT, and in some ways, this is not radically different from the Romantic Times or now as it's known Book Lovers Con. There are not readers here until the um, that final literacy signing on Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. But there are majorly heavy-hitting romance authors at this event. And it's just going to be like, wow. Mm-hmm. The other weird part is, I don't know that I will recognize many of them on site. <laughs> so I could be talking to somebody. Well, that's very, very true. You know, um I am a, a little bit more plugged into the romance community as a whole. So mm-hmm. while I can recognize names, I can't necessarily recognize faces. Um, so I, I, I feel you. I'm in the yeah. same boat as you. We, <laughs> we are going to be surrounded by very big, important people this week. Um, so there's that to look forward to. Yeah. Um, also, the reason we are going this year is our very first year. We don't have, um, I wouldn't say we have a lot of expectations since this is our very first trip to RWA. Our main goal is just to kind of like, you know, see it, be there, experience it for the first time and kind of uh, get the feel for uh, what a national conference of this size is all about. Yeah. And to learn some stuff. It'll be learning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It'll be networking. And shall we shall we drop our big RWA news? We have very big news, people. Yeah. We've been sitting on this for weeks because <laughs> we haven't been allowed to talk about it. But we will be presenting at the Ritas this year. And the Ritas, for those who don't know, is to center the Oscars for romance novels. Would you say that's a fair Yes, that's it. Exactly. Analogy? Yes, it is. Uh, we were asked uh, by Laquette, of all people, so thank you, Laquette, for helping us get this opportunity, uh, to present at the Ritas. And we've been assigned the romantic suspense category to mm-hmm. present, which I'm super excited about, given how much I have been enjoying romantic suspense over the last year or so. And I'm just... 
Uh, I'm beside myself that we get this opportunity to, again, be in front of this room full of heavy hitters who are going to be like, who the hell are these guys? (laughs) (laughs) So that, the readers actually happen uh, next Friday. I believe, I didn't write the time down. I'm a bad host. I believe they start at 7 Eastern time. And they are going to be streaming at rwa.org. I'm not sure if you have to be a member of RWA to see them, but we will put into um, our social media feeds uh, where we can confirm where you guys can see this if you choose to tune in and see, you know, Romance's Biggest Night. Because like I, I said, we were just really just planning to go to RWA and just kind of be in the moment and experience it. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of expectations. But when this invitation came, it kind of took it up to a whole nother level. Jeff and I literally had to go out and buy an entire new wardrobe. <laughs> we did. Um, because we don't know how to be fancy in front of people. Um, so, yeah, we had the ordeal of clothes shopping this past week. Uh, I think we picked out something acceptable. We'll be putting on the Ritz yep. uh, come Friday night, um, and we'll have pictures on social media. Yeah, our, our red carpet images. <laughs> Can I just tell you all, clothes shopping is horrible. <laughs> it's hard. It's horrible. I am apparently bizarrely proportioned. Oh. Um, well, like, getting the right <laughs> pant length, it's like nobody wants to give me, like, a 29 or even a 28 so that I don't look like I have pants going on for days or that they're too short. Or what was it? My my neck size versus arm length was also kind of bizarre. So I've got to keep my coat on because my shirt will look stupid otherwise. it's It took us two hours to close shop for two outfits. It's insane. Now, we're, of course, guys. And two hours is pretty much nothing. I know some <laughs> of you ladies... <laughs> who had to go out shopping for the Rita's uh, probably months ago. Um, <laughs> women know how to plan. It, with, yeah. When they knew, knew they're going to this award show, they they got it down. So uh, don't mind us. Um, oh, and by the way, I like your proportions just fine. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, we know that Laquette will be helping us with last-minute stylings if we need it because we already told her that was part of our... Um, Part of our criteria for going to do this was that she had to help us make sure that we looked okay. So if any of you who are listening are going to be attending RWA or the Rita's, we hope to see you there. Hi, I'm Jay from the LGBTQ romance review blog, Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully Jay, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review eBooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully Jay is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases, get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully Jay is exclusive so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully Jay, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. Stop by the blog at joyfullyjay.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us. 
So the book I want to talk about this week is called The Masterpiece, and it's by Bonnie D. And it is a historical, and it is absolutely wonderful. Guys, you cannot understand how much I love this book. Um, it is essentially a makeover story, sort of a, a dealing with Pygmalion themes in a historical setting. Um, so I won't go like hugely into the plot. When I say My Fair Lady, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, the story... Uh, centers on a guy named Arthur. Uh, he is the well-to-do gentleman in this particular scenario. And one day he's out hanging out with his bestie, a guy named Granville. Um, occasionally, Arthur calls Granville Granny. And it <laughs> totally cracks me up. Anyway, uh, Granville um, is more of a traditionalist. He believes very heavily in the uh, British class system, but Arthur is a little more modern in his ideas. He feels that, you know, if a if a man has the wherewithal and the chutzpah, uh, he can, like, pull him up, uh, pull himself up by his bootstraps and achieve something with his life, no matter where he is on sort of the uh, ladder of social hierarchy. Um, of course, <laughs> in order to prove their different theories, um, they set a bet, and that bet involves Joe, the shoeshine boy. Um, Arthur is to make Joe a gentleman in six weeks, where he will kind of debut at uh, Granville's mother's uh, really big soiree. It's the big um, party of the social season. So immediately, Joe moves in with Arthur, and Arthur is uh, very glad that to realize that uh, Joe is not only very uh, smart and very kind, he is very hardworking, uh, and he is interested in bettering himself. He's undertaking this particular makeover because he has ideas of owning his own men's shop one day, with, of course, a focus on shoes. Um, so they get down to work, and they decide after spending several days, you know, indoors and studying and and learning you know which fork to use and all, i mean all of that nonsense um they decide to go get some fresh air they, so they go for a constitutional in the park nearby where they unfortunately uh run into granville who's like escorting some ladies they're promenading and <laughs> and uh joe does very very well for his you know this first unexpected like test uh so after that, they quickly extricate themselves and go relax in the museum nearby, uh, where a rainstorm has sort of caught them off guard. So they're kind of essentially alone in the uh, Natural History Museum in London, uh, where they find a dark corner and they first like realize the sort of sexual tension that's been building up after you know these Aww. last couple of days and weeks. Um, so they both definitely now realize that they have definite feelings for one another as their sort of, uh, sort of schooling continues. Uh, the next text comes, uh, with an evening at the theater, uh, where Arthur and Joe unfortunately run into Granville yet again. This dude's everywhere. He's unfortunately <laughs> everywhere. Uh, and Granville has befriended a professor of linguistics 
And Arthur is totally on to him. He knows that Granville is only, you know, befriending this schlub because he plans on bringing this linguist to the party to, like, sniff out Joe and, you know, uh, expose him as some sort of lower class fraud. Um, of course, Joe actually does very well. Um, he's proving himself time and time again. But Granny is not going to give up. He makes sure that Arthur's family is invited to his mother's big soiree. So unexpectedly, several of the uh, members of Joe's family come to stay with him in the in in uh, Arthur's house. Oh dear! So they can't be alone anymore. They can't sh- share like furtive kisses or anything like that uh, in the days leading up to the big event. Finally, the evening arrives, uh, and everything goes swimmingly. Um, Joe is tested, but everyone is really charmed and taken by him. Um, something I want to talk about really quickly is that when it comes to Pygmalion stories, usually there's a point in the narrative where the uh, Eliza Doolittle character has to wonder if uh, the professor uh, is in love with her, herself, or the person that she's pretending to be. Mm -hmm. Um, We kind of skip over that in this particular story because it's really obvious that Arthur and Joe are like completely into one another. That's really not up for debate. What actually ends up happening is Joe is doing so remarkably well at this party. um, He becomes guilty. You know, all these lords and ladies and debutantes are really taken with him, and they're actually remarkably kind to him, and he feels really genuinely bad that he's sort of pulling the wool over their eyes. Hmm. Um, And that guilt eventually leads him to uh, leaving Arthur's house sooner rather than later. Um, Over the last few weeks, they've been trying to figure out how can they make this work, but they finally come to realize um, that they can't. Uh, even though they've essentially won the bet and they've proven their point, the fact is is that the class system is very much a thing, and the two of them are from two different worlds, and they don't know how to make it work. So Joe packs his bags and leaves, and Arthur ends up going to India. Uh, He has been convinced by his brother and his father that he has to sort of finally grow up and like take on the mantle of the family business, so he's going to go spend a few months in India. And while he's away, uh, Joe uses the money that he earns from the bet, and he does actually end up opening his own shop. When Arthur finally arrives back in England, there's a big declaration scene because they realize they are both utterly and completely miserable without one another. Uh, <laughs> and they both vow to find some way that they're going to make it work. I really, really love this book an awful lot. I love these two characters. Um, and Bonnie D, um, I've read a few of her other historicals. I think she really excels at making her characters fun. And um, I hate the, ugh, I hate using the word nice, but I really enjoy her characters and how she uh, makes us empathize with them. Uh, so I really enjoyed the masterpiece by Bonnie D. There's nothing wrong with nice. You, you, we all know you <laughs> like the nice guys. I do. I have a nice guy kink. 
Anyway, so you have also read a historical. I did. In fact, Bonnie D is half of the writing team on this one. And uh, I read The Nobleman and the Spy uh, by Bonnie and also Summer Devon. Uh, now, they're both new to me authors. So it was it was great to like explore something new for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and The Nobleman and the Spy is something I would call like a second chance romantic suspense historical. Because there's a lot going on in here. Uh, and it was a complete delight with all the intrigue that was going on and some of the most steaming hot sex ever, people. Oh my God, this book was hot. Now, soldier-turned-British spy Jonathan Reese is assigned to keep watch over German Karl von Binder. Uh, Jonathan knows Karl all too well because during the war, Karl spared Jonathan's life. Now, it doesn't take much for Jonathan to lose focus on this mission and pay attention to the man who has come back into his life. He's also aware that he cares too much for Carl to allow anything to happen to him. And that's key because his orders are to keep a watch on him. And it's actually a mixed message if he is to protect the man or not, because there are certain people who would not mind if Carl just got killed. Now, Carl, despite the forbidden attraction to Jonathan, tries to keep the spy at length because he's sure that he can protect himself. But as the evidence piles up that there's someone on Carl's trail, the two end up working together trying to figure out who's behind it. It's a tangled web. This really, like, I, I, I feel like I always say that it just, everything is tangled. But this one, where it went... And who was behind it was truly jaw-dropping. And I really kept expecting one more turn to put the, I guess, the blame, for lack of a better word, to put the blame somewhere else for what was happening. It was it was, it was, was stunning. And, yeah, but a thrill at the same time because, dang you two, how did you come up with that? <laughs> um, I really love the feel of this book. And as I was reading it, it kept reminding me of the 60s TV show Wild Wild West. They kind of take place in the same time frame, uh, in the in the middle 1860s. And Wild Wild West had its spy component because the the two guys were, I believe they were Secret Service agents, if I recall correctly. And while this is not set in the American West, there's a lot of crossover between the the horse and buggies and and the the way people behaved in the day. And it all just put itself together in a really nice package for me. Um I also liked how Carl and Jonathan recognized that they couldn't give in to their attraction, but the more they couldn't give in to it, the more they really wanted to give in to it. The ways that they find themselves speaking to each other in public versus private and the way they carry themselves when they're in the same room together and the links they go to hide this very you know naughty relationship were so good. And then when they got together, it was Oh, so much hotter. Oh, my God. (laughs) Narrator Todd Scott, I have to say, does a terrific job with the entire story. But the sex scenes, did you do the audio for the book that you did or were you reading? No, I actually listened to this book as well. And yes, I totally agree with you. The sex in this book is super... It's lovely. It's intriguing. I I found it very enjoyable. What's what really struck me and what I enjoyed the most about Nobleman and the Spy is that it's essentially a a bodyguard trope and Mm. sort of um, 
all the different themes that go along with that, but in a historical setting. So it was sexy and it was fun and there's lots of adventure and action. Um, I really enjoyed this one as well. Calling out the bodyguard trope is really appropriate, but what makes it a little different, at least to me, is that Carl doesn't really want to be bodyguarded. No, not really. Uh, (laughs) But Jonathan certainly takes that role because he keeps reinserting himself, even when he's taken off the mission, ultimately, he keeps reinserting himself because he wants to keep Carl safe and no longer wants him to, you know, perhaps be killed, but maybe not. Uh, so yeah, I, I totally enjoyed Nobleman and the Spy, and now I kind of want to read your book too, because that sounded super good. Uh, it's really, really good. Guys, remember, if you want more details on any of the books that we've mentioned in this episode, simply go to the show notes page for episode 198 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and see what we get up to next. So this week we get to welcome back to the show Michael Vance Gurley. His new YA book, Absolute Heart, which is book one in the Infernal Instruments of the Dragon series, is debuting this week on Tuesday, the 23rd of July. This book kind of blew me away. I'm not much into steampunk. Uh, I have nothing against steampunk. It's just not something I pick up and read mm-hmm. um, as a general rule. And it's always one of those things where I, if I do pick something up, I'm like, why don't I read more of this? <laughs> and Michael certainly made me go that way with this book. Um, I got to read an early draft of it. Uh, and fell totally in love with the characters and the scenario that he created in this book. I'm super excited and hope that the trilogy goes forward because I think there's awesome adventures ahead. Uh, and to get the full scoop on it, let's just get to our interview with Michael. Welcome, Michael, to the podcast, or back to the podcast, I should say. <laughs> I'm super excited. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, we were talking before I hit the record button that we had you here in episode 42. And now we are at 198. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So like you did the first time we had you on, you've, you've come up with a book that I didn't even know I needed to read when I first got to read it. So you've got this YA book called Absolute Heart, and it's the first book in the Infernal Instruments of the Dragon series. Tell everybody what this is about, both the book and kind of the series behind it. Well, yeah, uh, uh, the Absolute Heart is... Um, Above all else, it's a steampunk book. It's an adventure uh, set in a world where um, clockwork-powered England, in 1880s Victorian-era England, is at war, and sort of Cold War when we first pick up the series, against the magically-powered Ireland, who's been kind of besieged by the Brotherhood of the Mage. It's a a, um, warlock uh, group that is sort of uh, made the queen subservient to them in, in ways, and you'll have to find out when you read it. And it's really the story about uh, two boys, uh, Gavin, the high councilman's son from England, and uh, his friends, and following him when he has these terrible secrets, uh, he thinks they're terrible, and when they're found out, he could be executed for them, uh, for at least one of them. So he does what all teenagers do when they're 
when they uh, have something awful happen and they think they're going to get in trouble. He runs and he runs away and his friend, his best friend, Landa, who's an artificer, which is a, um, a mechanic, a computer engineer, and she's a powerful female character that I'm really proud of. And she has his back and challenges him and, and calls him foolish when he's foolish. Um, and she goes with him. And some other people who have their own agendas go with as well um, on this quest. And then the other side, um, the Brotherhood sends Orion of Oberon, who is a young um, warlock of immense power uh, because he's the nephew of the ailing Irish queen. They send him off to get the most powerful weapon in the world, the Dragonstones. Um, and there's a lot of mystery and history about the Dragonstones and what they are and what they can actually do, but they want them to end this war in their favor. So, of course, they have a meet-cute, or at least I hope people think it's a meet-cute. It's a meet-cute. It's totally meet-cute. Thank you. And they have to decide, like, are they going to get together? Are they? Will they? Won't they? Of course, there's the will they, won't they thing, and, and uh, you know, that works in, in pretty much everything. Um you know, uh, so it, I'm really excited about it. I'm excited about this steampunk adventure, and it sets off, and, and um, it, it's set to be a trilogy. So I'm really excited about that, and um, hopeful people will like it, and and the inclusion of fairies and um, the air steamships and all the wonder that is steampunk. And steampunk is so not really anything I read. I dabble in it periodically, mm. but something yeah. about gavin and orion and the badass friend you gave gavin <laughs> yeah. full disclosure to the to the to the to the listeners uh -oh. like i read a very early draft of this um yeah. when you had a lot going on in book one and you've paired it back now yeah. into a more condensed story but yeah. how did all this coalesce and come together and what was the inspiration like <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, and, and really, you should pat yourself on the back because you know your your viewers should know that you know you you read an early arc and gave me notes and edited and, and really kind of dissected it for me. Like it, it was wherever it was messy, you like a good editor said that's messy. <laughs> so hopefully, a lot better now. But um, the research is, uh, um, you know, the research starts with with reading steampunk books and reading lots of YA, which is, of course, a, a terrible addiction of mine. Um, and, and reading all of that steampunk and, you know, finding those those uh, those characters that you like and you want to write about, maybe because I use Scrivener, you know, have the photo option to put your um, your vision, the, the characters, the places, the ships. You put photos in there and I work with a split screen so I can always reference that. So I never really lose track of it. But, um, yeah, it was great looking into all that steampunk stuff and, you know, going into like, um, Cassandra Clare's, uh, clockwork, uh, angel series or, um, Scott Westerfeld's, uh, Leviathan series. And if I can get even a little bit of that spirit, um, I'll be really happy. Uh, you know, I, but it, it starts with loving steampunk. You, you really sh write what you know and write what you love. And uh, I've never been an airship captain, but I love reading about them. And I, <laughs> I love that whole idea. And, you know, thinking about like Leviathan, uh, uh, that series has a, a powerful um, gender bending quality to it with um, the girl because she has to 
uh, acts uh, dresses like a boy and acts like a boy in order to have a career. And I, I love that. And I hope I engendered uh, um, Lando with that as a little bit as well. What went into creating your world of magic in Ireland and steam power and clockworks in England? Because there's so much that you could pull from to create the steampunk universe. Mm -hmm. What were the, how, what was your decision to like make these things your universe? Steampunk, one of the amazing things about it is amazing thing about world building as well is, is um, you can go with historical fiction, you know, like my first book and it, it's wonderfully creative, but you're, you're also stuck with, you can't lie. It's, it's historical fiction. You can make up characters and you can make up some things. But but really, if you get too far away from reality, people stop believing in what you're writing about with historical fiction. At least I think so. You know, so I stuck with the Roaring Twenties pretty, pretty well and, and that kind of thing. Steampunk is like that a little bit, too, where you're, you're in the 1880s Victorian era. But then you have these advances in this this um, you can get creative and wild and 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 all of that. So um, a lot of that came from traveling for me, too. Like I, I traveled to Ireland and I kissed the Blarney Stone, um, which, of course, means I'm full of BS, I guess, is, is <laughs> the gift of gab, you know. And then um, I went to uh, England and I went to uh, Stonehenge and I played around amongst all of the henges there because that's where they keep them and I had a lot of fun. And the idea of the magic stones and powerful and Ireland magic and castles and the, and then of course the troubles with the war uh, between Northern Ireland and England. And I just rolled that back 40 years, years or so and um, brought all that magic and the stones and the power. I brought all that together. And, you know, that, that's really where the idea came from. Um, I also wrote a comic book uh, like 20 years ago that had a lot of the fantasy stuff in it and it, it never got published, but I tweaked it and changed it throughout the years. So you can almost say that this part of this book, the backstory, the, the fantasy magic side is about 20 years in the making, which oh, wow. I guess makes this a labor of love. That's very cool that it goes back quite that mm -hmm. far. Um, yeah. Which makes me feel old saying it out loud. Eh, you know, <laughs> you could have had the idea when you were five or six and, you know. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> what do we have to look forward to as the as the trilogy progresses without obviously spoiling anything necessarily? But what could you kind of hint at us about the story arc? Um, well, so. You know, I'm a big fan of, of sci-fi and, you know, steampunk is really an off, offshoot of sci-fi in, in a way or, or vice versa, I guess. But um, or not vice versa, but, you know, <laughs> but Star Wars, uh, you know, originally was Star Wars. And then it, they added a new hope to the title when they were like, well, you know, Darth Vader's still out there. Um, I mean, you know, they gave uh, Luke and Han some some uh, medals. And by the way, droids rights, we're, we're the medals for the droids, right? But so, uh, but you know, then you got Darth Vader out there. So I love that idea of there's always more. If you look for it, if you see the little bits, like there's actually Darth Vader and an emperor. There's still, we're still at war, guys. So come back for Empire. And guess what? It's going to get 
darker and worse. And that's really kind of what's happening here is that the book sort of gives you an ending, but, in, and I think so does every book hopefully will give an ending, but it has an ending, but it really isn't. If you're reading it, you know, there's a lot more that's about to come down and we might lose some people along the way and maybe find some new people that you love and who's together may not always be together. So with everything between the magic and the and the clockworks and the steam and everything, I, your story, your book Bible for this must be huge. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think Scrivener uh, has just you just keep scrolling with all the, the characters and the development and the research. And, you know, I, I used um, th there's a great uh, British uh, uh, author named Ellen Gregory, who. Uh, did some high seas adventure and she read an early edit too and gave me some, some Britishisms, uh, which I kept calling Britishisms and uh, gave me some, some pointers in that. And uh, we were joking about that too, that I have um, just a hundred pages on the parts of a ship, sailing ships, hundreds of pages. And, and you could just bore people to death writing about that. And um, so it's, it's like, give that little bit, to make it believable and make it fan fantastic or whatever, and then let it go. And then I just use that incredible uh, knowledge about uh, you know um, midships and jibs and and at parties and and you know I can <laughs> I can talk about all that stuff at a party now, but you don't put too much of it in your <laughs> world building. Um, but it, but it is fun. I I do have lots of stuff. Like when I'm writing, there's fairies in the book in the land of fairy and. Um, I did so much research about uh, Oberon, the king of the fairies, and all that history. And then my my amazing editor Don Johnson at Dream Spinner and Harmony Inc. Hey, uh, Don! Yay! My she, editor too. Wow. She's awesome. <laughs> they really. I mean, the whole team has been amazing, and each person has challenged me, uh, which is really part of the deal. You have to kill your darlings, right? You, know, you have to allow some of your your characters to change with with some of the professional feedback. And um, so anyway, I, I was able to, to use that research and pull it in and I still miss stuff. And some of those editors were like, Hey, you know, the name of that person, shouldn't it be this for this reason? Historically? I'm like, yep. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking, you know? And so it's, it's really, it takes a village, you know? What do you hope people get out of this book? What I'm hoping to get out of it is is uh, enough people interested to uh, get a whole trilogy out of it and to get an audiobook. I really want to hear this story come alive, this this swashbuckling adventure come alive. I hope people get uh, uh, entertainment out of it. I hope they feel empowered um, and maybe challenged on their beliefs a little bit, um, which is you know whatever lofty goal and and it sounds like hubris to say it, but I hope people read it and see. The LGBTQ plus world is is just like everything else. It, it's it's steeped in mystery and history and great characters with amazing depth, capable of heroic acts and terrible evils and everything in between. You know, some people will, will write a, a, a character and be afraid to make the like the, the gay character or, or the trans character do something horrible. Like that's that's wrong. You, they have to do everything that everyone else does in, in order to make it real. And so I'm hoping people will forgive if I do something horrible to a character or make them do something you know terribly wicked, you know, mustache twirling. <laughs> but um, you know, 
and, and not, of course, hate the straight characters that do bad things as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, you kept a lot of this book in your family in some ways, too, because your husband, Jason Buren, uh, did the cover and interior art. And the cover is gorgeous, as Thank is some you. of that interior yeah. stuff. Thank you. Thank you hold that up there right oh there um, you go i i i just love thank you I, I love the the art yeah how did he come to get involved in it and what was it like collaborating with him on those elements well um so so jason's an amazing artist and um graphic designer and everything and uh, after we worked on the first one together and, and we worked on comic books together and and what i realized through and honestly, working with Don and, and and great editors kind of makes you realize sometimes you have to back up and state your vision, stay what you want, show covers of things you like and things you don't like, and then not micromanage it because then what you're going to get is my artistry, which I'm a writer, you know, not technically a graphic artist. So you're going to get your best work if you let the artist kind of figure it out. And that's what happened. I let go of the reins of both books. And I, I think that the covers are amazing. If I do say so myself, I think this cover is so right in here, exactly what I want it to be. And I was unable to say it out loud, you know, and that's what a good artist should do. Mm -hmm. um, and the interiors too, you know, I wanted so bad to have a, um, <clears throat> a chapter art. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, people don't have to let you do stuff like that. But but uh, Dream Spinner was so amazing. They're like, yeah, I pitch it. What do you, what do you have? Um, and so I pitched this idea of clockwork meets fantasy with the dragon wing and the um, the clockwork gears together. And uh, um, I think I pulled up a little picture here of that, too. So I'm so excited to, to show some of that together with the dragon wings with with, with the mixture. Anyway, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm geeked about it. I even got a little uh, gears as text breaks in the art, in the books. It's yeah. really fun. It's really gorgeous. But, you know, let go and see what happens. That's that's the idea, you know. And it, it worked out really well. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Now, when you were here in episode 42, we were talking about a historical MM hockey romance called The Long Season. Yes. This is a total departure, unless you're going to talk about the fact that you're dealing with historical times. Yeah. Had you always seen in your career, like, switching up the genres so completely? Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, it's a great question. I, I want to challenge myself to do something completely different every time. And so, like, being a new writer... Uh, writing historical fiction was crazy. That's too much to take on. And I said, well, whatever, it's, it's a labor of love, you know? So then for my second novel, a trilogy themed like science fiction, like, oh, my God, you're crazy. That's too much. It, you're not going to be able to handle it. And who knows? We'll, we'll see. The first one got picked up. Thank you, Dream Spinner. And um, I'm super excited about it. But I wanted to challenge myself. Um, and I love that genre. So I said, let's do something completely different. People ask me about doing a sequel of The Long Season or doing another hockey book. Um, and, you know, I'm really proud of, of the fact that I wrote a character, uh, Maggie, in The Long Season, uh, who was uh, Brett's best friend. Uh, turns out turned out to be Brett's best, best friend, started off with Jean-Paul, which um, I'm really proud of that people want a Maggie story. And I think 
that's amazing. And who knows that that might happen. I might, I might do that. Uh, my grandmother, uh, uh, certainly before when she read it, uh, before she passed away, she said, um, it can't end here. And, and <laughs> she's, she's right. Like, we need another story. And I did all that roaring twenties research. I would, who knows? I might go back, but you know, I want to challenge myself to do something different. And I could write another hockey book because I love it and, and, you know, I love the whole romance side of it and who knows, you know. I was thinking you need to find a way to introduce hockey into the Infernal Instruments universe. I mean, there, there might be some sports related in there a little bit, but like medieval hockey, that would be fun. <laughs> I've got some magic that could figure out how to freeze the pond anytime they wanted to, at least in my vision. I mean, 1880s isn't too far away from, from Lord Stanley, so they could theoretically run into Lord Stanley somewhere, you know, that could happen. Good idea. I mean, I'm trademarking. It was my idea. <laughs> oh yeah. You heard it here. It's his idea. <laughs> Do you foresee more in this universe potentially if the, if, if the trilogy works out and is successful? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's set up perfectly for a TV show. Um, that's huge. Right. But, um, I've even thought about, I have a friend who's a game designer and I've even thought about, man, that'd be amazing. You know, that, that whole steampunk idea, um, it's, it's a huge world and you'll see in book two, the world's even bigger than you see in book one. Um, because it's a world at war. It's a world half conquered by clockwork powered England and half powered, uh, conquered by magic powered Ireland. So everywhere you go, France and Germany and, um, Africa and potentially the United States, are they, are they even the United States? Um, it's a huge world. So it, the stories could go anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of like, uh, Gideon Smith books, um, uh, Gideon Smith, Gideon Smith and the mechanical girl. I think the first one's called, they, at some point they end up in a, uh, in a airship going to the United States and uh, the wild West and uh, Egypt and all kinds of things. And steampunk is it's open. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I hope that it just keeps going and expanding. Uh, so what's coming up next directly for you? Are you, are you done with book two or still writing on the trilogy? And can you look beyond this first trilogy at what's next? Well, interestingly enough, it goes back to your first uh, question is, is I have or your, your last question. I mean, book two and three, the trilogy has a beginning, middle and end in my head. And it ends. Of course, there could be more after that, much like the long season. But in my mind, I've already started I'm about halfway through writing a third, completely different genre book, challenging myself with something completely different which is a contemporary YA book um, built on my travels to Antarctica. Um, so it's, it's a, a YA, uh, um, two young people who meet and fall in love on a cruise to Antarctica and it's sort of a travel log and what happens and the interesting things and people and penguins that they see. Um, and I, I won't give away too much, but anyway, that's what I'm in the middle of now. Oh, so cool. that's been going on for a while. So, I don't know how we find with full-time jobs, how you find time to write. Uh, it's certainly hard, but, you know, it's a labor of love, I guess. That's exciting. A little something new there. 
that's again totally disparate but you mentioned you you wanted to keep mixing it up so yeah yeah and this is uh uh, uh right now it's a, a trading places sort of thing like uh, like what if it's us you know it's a, a chapter per person and um we'll, we'll see how that works out I'm, I'm working with a little uh gender non-conforming uh character which is really new for me it's taking lots of research you know to get intersectionality um in the forefront of the book, you know, not, not as a, as a, as a ploy, but as a reality of, of mm -hmm. the world that we live in and people that need representation. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Hurry up and write that please. Uh <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> well, you'll probably, hopefully if, if you're willing, you'll probably see it before anybody else as a, as a proofreader. So fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the best way for folks to keep up with you online, to keep up as, as uh, Infernal Instruments continues and, and this new contemporary book starts to, to take shape? Um, if they go to uh, my full name, michaelvancegurley.com, um, maybe the easiest way, you go on there and there'll be clicks from the uh, links to my uh, two book sites and um, to my Instagram. They can go to Captain Rhetoric on Instagram and find me. That's where I write uh, um, self-involved book reviews where I, I hope that people care about what I think about these amazing books that I read and um, travel pictures and, and just little bits like that. Uh, not too much of me, just sort of what I see about the world. So I, I like to do that on Instagram. And, and uh, um, so that's the best way to get, keep up with me. Cool. All right. Well, I wish you the best of success with Absolute Heart. <laughs> Uh, it's been great to talk to you a little bit about it. And uh, yeah, when that contemporary is done, you'll have to come on back. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to Michael for coming by to tell us all about Absolute Heart. Uh, and I hope he gets to writing on that contemporary because I want I want to read that next book sooner than later. Yeah, so, definitely. Before episode three hundred, Michael, that's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, I think that'll do it for this week's show. Just a quick reminder that Patreon is a way for fans to engage with all kinds of artists, writers, musicians, and podcasters as well. It's a great way to support the kinds of creative content that you enjoy the most. If you're curious about what kind of bonus material we deliver to our fans every single month, just go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Um, we recently recorded our special bonus Patreon episode for July, and we talked about a whole bunch of different stuff. Yes, uh, we did. Primarily, we talked about the anniversary of the movie Eating Out, um, so that was a lot of fun. Which is 15 years old. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, guys. Coming up next week in episode 199, we talked to Matt Lubbers Moore about Requeered Tales, the company that he has started and its quest to bring back gay fiction that has gone out of print. It was so great to talk to Matt and to, to hear how Requeered Tales is going about getting a hold of these manuscripts that have been out of print and then bringing them back for a whole new generation of people to read and also for those who have enjoyed them in the past to be able to rediscover them. Exactly. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to biggayfictionpodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. 
You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.